Experiencing God unreservedly, have said, is each one's agenda from now till we're dead. As we move from the fall to the bright Christmas season, we know above all, Jesus is the reason. Experiencing Christmas means something different to each. Some even say it must be shared at the beach. Here at New Life, we'll share some iconic symbols and such in hopes every life will be powerfully touched. What would Christmas be like without a gathering so real as the delicious, delectable Christmas meal? Of course, there are sounds, there are feelings in sight, but what would it be without the Christmas lights? Christmas movies galore, golly gosh, golly gee, and what's more iconic than a beautiful tree? We often get caught during the season so bright, talking about the sails and the snow oh so white. Of course, every message will help us with living and remind us only one gift always keeps giving. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good? Good. I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life, and we are so thankful that each and every one of you decided to join us here at New Life today. Whether this is your first time or you've been coming for a number of years or you're joining us online, thank you for making New Life part of your weekend. We are in the last weekend of our series called Experiencing God. And we've based it upon the book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. We're very original here at New Life. Now, if you've never read Experiencing God, I would really encourage you to pick it up. It's a wonderful book. It's very helpful. And we believe that this series is going to lay the foundation for our entire year. Because the series for the year is Experiencing God Unreserved. And what Henry Blackaby has done in his book, and what we've tried to do over these past several weeks, is lay the foundation of the seven realities that exist as we walk in relationship with God and as we experience Him. And so it's our hope that as we've walked this out, that this foundation will be um, the base upon which we build over this next year. So today we're going to look at the seventh reality, but I just want to take a moment and review because if you're like me, you need the review, right? So Pastor Chris has been using this little illustration, and I think it's very helpful, and they're going to put it up here on the screen, because if you're a visual learner like I am, you like to see the, the pictures, right? So up top, you can see there's God, right? He's at the top left. And then there's this large arrow that kind of points off to the left, and what that shows is that God is always at work. Regardless of what we do, God is always at work. He's achieving what He wants here on earth. Now... As you can see, there's a little loop down, and that's all the steps that are in reference to us, how we can come into relationship with God, how we partner with Him, how He works in and through us so that His work is ultimately achieved. Blackaby actually sums up these seven realities, and I want to use his language because I feel it's very helpful, and he says this. These are his seven realities. God is always at work around you. Again, that was that large arrow. 
God pursues a continuing, continuing love relationship with you that is both real and personal. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. And finally, number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. To sum that up kind of in sort of our new life speak, God is always at work and he loves us, right? And he desperately wants to have a relationship with us. He wants that relationship to be both real and personal. And so he begins to speak. And I love Blackaby when he says that he speaks by the Spirit through prayer, through the Bible, through circumstances, and through the church body. And as he speaks, he's calling us to join him in what he is doing, which is incredible. But eventually, it leads to this crisis, right? Pastor Brad said this is the decision a couple weeks ago. Will we join with him or won't we? If we decide, yeah, we're going to go forward with that, then we realize that, oh my goodness, to do this, we've got to make major adjustments in our life, right? In order to see this through, we've got to have some major adjustments made and done. But, and here's the promise, if we are obedient, if we are obedient, we actually get to do, these are two incredible things, we get to help God complete his work. And he reveals himself to us. We come to know God by what we do. Think about that. As we get to, God is so good, right? As we partner with him, we get to do his work, but he also brings us into this relationship where we know who God is. Now, it's interesting to note when it comes to knowing, we kind of have some different concepts, but for Henry Blackaby, knowledge and action are always tied together, which is the biblical model. Okay? Now, we live in America, we live in what's known as the West, and we can learn a lot of things theoretically. We can sit in a classroom and learn how an engine works without actually ever digging into an engine. But in the New Testament, the word for knowledge is gnosis, and gnosis always implies an experiential knowledge. We come to know by doing. Pastor Chris often says, information plus application, the doing part, equals transformation. And that is always the model in the New Testament. So for us to live out an act of a life that is faithful to God is not just theoretical. It's one thing to know that Jesus is Lord theoretically. It's another thing to know it experientially. And when we do, we begin to walk out our faith in a practical and an obedient way. Henry Blackaby actually says, this is what obedience starts to look like. Here is how it is shown through our lives. He says, obedience is an outward expression of your love for God. It's always the relationship first. The reward for obedience is God will make himself known to you. There is a reward. We learn who God is. He reveals himself to us. This is a hard one. If you have an obedience problem, you have a heart problem. Ouch. Thanks, Henry. If you love him, you will obey him. If you love him, you will obey him. Such concepts actually fly in the face of our cultural understanding of Jesus. It's often been said, I'll take the Savior, but hold the Lord. We love the fact that Jesus came to save us from sin and death. We don't love the fact that he's the Lord, which means that he's the owner of our lives. 
but he wants all of it. He wants us to go all in. As Pastor Chris said last week, I would say the biggest argument against Jesus Christ is Christians living lukewarm, half-hearted lives. Christians who go all in, who do whatever it takes, have always transformed the world. And I think that we forget a transformed world is the goal, right? Like that's the goal. Jesus came and bled and died, rose again, sent the Holy Spirit so that we could partner with him not to have a great day, but so that the world itself is transformed. This leads us to what is our take-home point for this week, and the take-home point is the one point that I hope to make throughout this entire message, and I hope it's one that also we'll take with us and live out this week, and it quite simply is this. God accomplishes his work through his obedient followers. God accomplishes his work through his obedient followers. As we live obedient lives, as we're about his work, we come to know God by experience, and we live it out day by day by day. Jesus makes this point repeatedly throughout the Gospels, but he makes it very clearly in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, please flip to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 12 to 21. The words will also be up on the screen here in a moment, but first let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, the work that you have done. We ask that at this moment, that as we look into your word, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open ourselves to receive it that you would take our words, my words, Father, that you would own them, Father, that you would speak your truth in love. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. John 14, 12 through 21 says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and, he, and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and, my, and will reveal myself to each of them. I will reveal myself to each of them. Now, obviously this passage starts out with this whole statement on greater things, and I want to get to that here in a second. But actually, what Jesus lists later is how we get to the greater things, right? So I want to start in verse 15, and then we're going to loop back around to verses 12, 13, and 14. Because verse 15 says this, If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. It's important to note that obedience always starts with a love relationship. 
Obedience always starts with a love relationship. Remember what Henry Blackaby just said? Obedience is an outward expression of our love for God, right? He also says this. Remember, he, meaning Jesus, is not calling you primarily to a task, but to a relationship. Obedience is always based out of a love relationship. There is a God. His name is Jesus, and he came to have a relationship with us. Obedience always springs from that love relationship, and because we love Jesus and he loves us, the Father loves us, and we do these things not because of guilt or fear, but we do them because we love God. Jesus goes on to promise this gift of the Spirit. He will not leave us as orphans, which is an incredible promise, but the Spirit will live actually in us. So think about this. Jesus is there in the flesh, and he's like, listen, guys, it's better that I go because the Spirit's going to live in you, okay? And then you're going to obey me, right? You're going to obey my commands. I'm going to love you. The Father will love you. He goes through these, all these promises. You could actually take this verse and just read it through for like a couple weeks and meditate on all the wonderful promises that are in here, and I would encourage you to do that. But think about this. The Father loves us, and then what happens? Jesus said, I will actually reveal more of myself to you. Now, this should kind of blow our minds a little bit because Jesus is standing there. Like they can touch him, right? And he's like, no, it's better if I go. It's better if I go because by the Spirit, you'll actually know me deeper and more intimately than if I were standing right here. I have no idea how that works. That's above my pay grade. But it's there. And Jesus says, it's better if I go because as I go and the Spirit lives within you, I will reveal myself as you do what? Obey me. So we come to know God by experience, the knowing and the doing, right? As we walk this out, he reveals himself to us and we get to know more of who he is and we get to experience God in a way that we never have before. And what's the result? Well, let's cycle back around to verse 12. Greater works. That's the other promise. It's actually better that I go because you'll do more and greater things than I would do if it were me, just me here. Again, that should kind of blow our minds because when you think about Jesus, like the greater works that immediately come to my mind are, well, like you raised the dead and you walked on water. And the last time I tried to walk on water, like I I died almost, you know, how's that possible? But it's not just greater in the sense of greater things. It's also greater in the sense of number, right? And here's something that that we just don't think about. But at the end of John's gospel, he actually records these words. If every one of them, meaning the deeds and actions of Jesus, were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Couldn't contain it all. And Jesus says, guess what? You get to do more. We get to. You see the pattern? We love God. There's a relationship there. We form that relationship. We love him. He ministers to our heart and to our spirit. We begin to obey him. He reveals himself to us. We get to know God in an intimate way, better than if he were physically standing here right now because the spirit lives within us. And we get to walk this out with him, knowing him and being about what he has called us to do as he shapes and transforms us into completely new people. What an amazing promise, and what a wonderful and great God we serve. 
Now, we do need to pause for a moment and address what I am calling the elephant in this passage, the whole ask for anything in my name. Did you guys catch that? He says it twice. Now, can anything mean anything? Well, for some folks it has. But let's be honest, for me, if anything means anything, I'm asking, asking like for Ferraris and jet skis. Right? If anything means anything, that's what I'm asking for. I know some of you are very pious and you'd be like, feed the homeless. I'd be like, they'll feel fine as I'm going by in my Ferrari. I mean, come on, if anything's anything, that's what I'm asking for. But anything can't mean anything because he can't mean Ferraris and jet skis, right? It can't be that. So in that context, as we see that Jesus and the love of the Father, what's he talking about here? His work and the relationship that we get to have with him. So Christ is clearly pointing to the fact that we're not going to ask for more stuff, right? But instead, we're asking how we can achieve his work and how that relationship can be built. It's always under that, under that covering of, God, what would you have for me? What would you have me to do? And he prompts, and then we ask for those things accordingly. Now, back to the greater things. If I'm honest, I want my greater things to be like Jesus' greater things. Right? Like I think of the big ones, like Jesus raised the dead. I'd love to raise the dead. I would join Instagram just to make that post. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? I don't even really know what it is, but I know that the kids are doing like the hashtag thing, hashtag blessed, hashtag raise the dead. I would, I would make that post. But if we've learned anything throughout this series, it's that we don't get to do whatever we want. God is at work, and we get to partner with him in what he's doing, whether we feel gifted to do that or not. You need to hear that, whether we feel gifted to do it or not not. A couple of years ago, we had just moved into our new home, and I was sitting in a room that was going to be my office. Anybody have an office in your home? I'm jealous of you. Like, wait, you have... So I was sitting in the room that was supposed to be my office, and um, we were in the middle of a new life prayer emphasis. So I was in prayer, and I felt really good because I was praying, so check the mark, you know, check that box. And I was in my office. We had a little desk set up and a little chair, and we're getting it ready. I'm getting bookshelves, and so I'm in prayer, and I'm just thanking God for things and having a great prayer time. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, into my head comes the word of the Lord, this is not your office. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> and he said, no, this is not your office. And I said, what, what do you it's not my office. And then he's like, well, Barry, everything that you have is actually mine, and I've gifted it to you. So actually, you're in my office, in my house. Everything is a gift from me, so you're sitting in my office. And I went, well, okay, fair, valid. And I said, well, okay, well, what are you going to do in your office? You're going to like, eh, I don't care. It's yours. I'll rent, whatever. <laughs> I hear you're a generous God. And uh, he's like, actually, you're going to take this space and you're going to set it aside for me because you're going to have foster kids in this room. To which I said, I'm sorry, what? I need to make a confession to all of you. I don't like children. The littler, not the better. Every year my kids get a year older and I love them just a little bit more. My daughter's five. And she went shooting with me yesterday, and she killed a pumpkin at 55 yards. I know, right? A baby can't do that. You know, they're laying, and I'm like, oh, goodness, I don't love kids. 
So I pressed it down and I got back to doing something more productive, probably checking Facebook or something. <laughs> Next day, I'm in prayer time, same thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this isn't going away. Now, I hadn't read Blackaby at that point, but I knew enough at that point to know, hey, you hear a word in prayer, it needs to be reaffirmed in Scripture. But here's the deal. I didn't even need to crack the book open because long ago I had committed to memory that, that passage in James 1 where God says, Religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I thought, goodness gracious, that's two of Henry Blackaby's four. The noose was tightening, right? I argued vehemently for a widow ministry. I was like, they can do laundry. I was in a dark place. And God, no, he shut that one down. It just wasn't going to happen. I pouted. I got angry. And then I said, and these were my exact words. I said words that every mature man of faith ought to say in that moment. Listen, if this is really you, you need, you need to talk to my wife. <laughs> this is really kind of more her thing anyway. And the voice went away and I went, dodged a bullet. <laughs> Several weeks later, some of you are like, this guy, how's he on the stage? Several weeks later, we're driving home from New Life. We're driving home from the Good Friday service. We are in our minivan. We are driving home. I can show you the spot in Bonnie Brook Road where my wife and I were chatting, and she got silent, and I thought, oh, gosh, I did something wrong. So I cautiously said, oh, honey, what, what are you thinking? To which she said, God has really been moving in my heart that we should do foster care. <laughs> and then she just starts pouring out her heart, and it got really hot in the van. And she's pouring out her heart, and all I could say in response as a loving, caring husband was, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> now she's flustered, and she's trying to get it out, and I'm trying not to vomit in my mouth because he talked to her. I thought I was done. I was done. I was done. She tried to regain her composure. I said, listen, God told me this several weeks ago, and I told him he needed to talk to you. <laughs> I'm not making any of this up. She's right here. She will tell you. So we started the process for foster care. It's not a great process, but it's what we were called to do. We had several well-meaning friends tell us some not-so-helpful things. Some of our friends said, you don't even like kids. We know. Yeah, this one wasn't in our skill set thing yet. You know, when I took the spiritual gifts inventory, this one wasn't at the top. But he called us to it. We had some other well-meaning friends tell us some horror stories about foster care and what happens when you bring a child that you don't know into your home and what can happen to your own kids. They broke my heart. We were aware of what could happen. I was already afraid of those things. I was already afraid of those things. Les asked what I thought we should do, and I said, listen, God called us to this. We have to walk it out. One thing I love about Henry Blackaby is he's clear about the cost. He says this, obedience likewise has its costs. You cannot know and do the will of God without paying the price of adjustment. Counting the cost to follow God's will is one of the major adjustments you'll have to make. It's at the point of counting the cost that many cease following Jesus. In fact, at this point, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. 
Churches, too, must understand that obedience often requires sacrifice. A congregation will not know and experience the fulfilling of God's purposes if its members are unwilling to pay the price of obedience. And for church leaders, we do a disservice to our congregation if we do not help our people understand this reality. We had a lot of emotions. Excitement wasn't one of them. But we needed to go forward. If we didn't, we weren't being obedient. And the Bible does not have a great track record for those who are willfully disobedient unto the Lord. And so we walked it out. As for the family, we set what I thought were some good and healthy boundaries. And I prayed that God would do what I could not. And we went all in. I didn't have this quote before me at the time, but I wish I had, because it's really helpful when Henry Blackaby says, what do you suppose the cost would be to your family if you chose not to obey him? That's actually worse than what I was thinking at the time anyway. But it's, a, it's certainly a sobering thought. We welcomed... Uh, <laughs> We welcomed Mel into our home. Boy, I didn't cry in any other service. <laughs> we welcomed Mel into our home in March of 2018. She stayed with us until January of 2019. Many of you met her. Little chubby thing. So cute. She was a blessing. But it wasn't easy. I'd love to tell you that it was all cupcakes and candy bars, but we didn't know that Mel, and frankly, no one knew, that Mel was medically fragile, which meant that my wife would spend numerous nights in the ER, including watching Mel get life-flighted to Children's Hospital while I was gone. I felt really bad about that one. Our kids had to learn an entirely new vocabulary, like visitation and birth family but they also got to learn what it looks like to take someone into our home, which I loved. I had a hard time because I'm selfish, and it was just as inconvenient as I knew it would be, and I didn't like it, and I didn't like how tired my wife was and how tired my family was. I was in my devotions one morning, and I actually prayed this prayer, God, why are we doing this? To which he said, are you kidding me right now? Why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? God talks to me like that because I need it. And then I read in my devotions that morning, I read Oswald Chambers every morning because he makes some of the same points over and over and over again. And he made the point that morning that God wasn't trying to teach me anything. He was shaping me into a completely new person. I needed to decide if I was going to be willing to be about God's work and if I was going to let him work in my life. What I didn't know is that if I did that, I would actually come to know God in a way that I couldn't have known before. I would come to know Him by experience. Thankfully, we went that route. What I didn't know about God, but I do now, are some of the greatest truths that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. It's easy to say that God's always with us. I always knew that theoretically. But when we were in the midst of this, God was with us. God was our strength. 
I was, I was hours away and I had a little kid that I didn't even hardly know being life flighted and a wife trying to maintain that with all of our children. He was our strength. I know that now. When I was young, I had committed to memory 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that says, What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. Oh, what a wonderful, nice, flowery verse. And I always thought it was deep and meaningful until I held Mel in my arms and I realized we're all foster kids because all families are screwed up. We all fail at family. We're all broken. We're all damaged. We all have giant gaps and cracks in our life that can't be met by anything other than our good dad. And I can't begin to tell you the restorative work that, dad, that God did in my own life as a dad as he restored me and spoke to my identity as a man and as a son. You're like, how do you get that out of foster care? Because you come to know God by experience, and he changes us, renews us, restores us. Didn't know a lot of that before. I know it now. I know it now. Henry Blackaby, in his book, Experiencing the Spirit, says, when we allow Jesus to function as Lord of our lives, and the Spirit is free to actively work in us, the difference will become obvious. Life no longer consists of merely doing good works for God. Instead, the Christian life proves to be an exciting adventure of walking in God's very presence. Adam and Eve had the privilege of walking with God in the cool of the day, and we can do exactly the same thing. We can do exactly the same thing. As we are obedient, we come to know God by experience. Because as we do what he commands, he reveals himself and changes all of who we are. And we get to be about his work. Less said in hindsight, whereas she wasn't terribly excited about the foster care, she was excited that we were walking into what God had called us to do. And so, and so was I. I can tell you this, it certainly was an adventure. And one that I would gladly do again. And so, church family, are we ready for the adventure? Are we ready for what God would have for us? What does that look like? It can look like a million different things. I don't know how God will speak to you and prompt your heart. I never in a million years thought that I would have to give up my office, which was really his office, and that it would be used for foster care. Never in a million years. But that's what happened. Maybe for you, hey, sometimes you start small. He did with me. It's saying hi to that person. It's making a phone call. It's buying the coffee for the person behind me in line. Sometimes those promptings just come. It's helping that nice little old lady across the street. Any of those things. Perhaps he starts to move in different ways, and we realize that we really do need to reach out to that coworker or pray over that person. I don't know. It could be a million different things. Maybe it is foster care. Maybe you'll raise the dead and start an Instagram account. I don't know. But I do know this, that God loves us, and he is always at work always at work, and he desperately wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And if you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, today's the day. Today's the day, no better day than today, to say to him, God, I need you as my Savior, which means that you saved me from sin and death, and you are the Lord, which means you are the owner of my life. Come into my life, own it, restore it, renew it, take it. Do that right now. God desperately wants to have a relationship with us. He's always at work, and he speaks to us. And some of you are going, I don't hear him. Well, he speaks through prayer, through the Bible, through the church, 
and through circumstances. We must listen, and we must be about those things. Some of you are going, he's speaking. Some of it's great. Some of it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. He will speak. Some of you are in the midst of something where you're counting the cost. Some of you are making necessary adjustments. Some of you are up to your eyeballs, and you're going, why in the world is he doing this? Because he's changing us into completely new people, and he will walk through it with you, and he will totally renew you into a person that you didn't even know you could be. That's the promise. Because as we are obedient and as we are about his work, he reveals himself to us, and we get to partner with him to do his greater things, and we get to know God by experience. I can't think of a life that's better worth living than that. Can't think of one thing. And so, what will it take? It'll take each and every one of us. I hope you join with me in taking what is our next step for this week. And it is simply this. I will be obedient and allow God to work through me this week. It'll take each one of us, every one of us, we need to be all in. He will lead us out unreserved. Pastor Chris asked last week, are we willing to do whatever it takes? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for the work that you've done in our lives. God, we ask that as you speak, we would listen and that we would respond. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you ultimately lead, guide, and direct our lives. But we thank you, most importantly, Father, that you desperately want to have a relationship with us. Father, we ask and pray that as that relationship flourishes and grows, Father, that we would come to know you, that we would partner with you, uh, and Father, that we would be about that to which you have called us. In your name we pray. Amen.